Our scripture today is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin. Surprise, I'm not Tim. Um, so just to give a quick background of why I'm up here and not Tim, uh, you, a lot of you probably know Tanner and Kim Ball. Uh, Kim, last week when they came home from their Alaska trip, got diagnosed with COVID, and she's seven months pregnant. Um, that ended up on Friday with her being admitted into the hospital and then led to Saturday morning an emergency C-section. Um, so praise God, the good news is their little baby Isaiah is, is healthy and, and safe, but he's in the NICU. Kim's still uh, unable to be with him because she's still um, COVID positive. The, the reason Tim and Patty are involved, they are watching their son Jace while, while all this is going on. So they've been exposed to them and now are kind of stuck in some quarantine. So um, what I thought my biggest anxiety of today was gonna be Phil is gone, so I was running the sound booth by myself for the first time. Uh, led to a phone call yesterday morning from Tim, and I said, what are we going to do, watch you on TV, or what's, what's the story? And he said, how about you do it? And so uh, that's, where we, that's where we are. And one of the, he gave me some, some tips and, and said, I can just give you what I had. He would prepared this message on this passage and said, I can give you what I have, or I'd, I think you could just do it yourself. And so one of the things he said was work on your introduction last. And so that was 23 hours ago. And this is going to be my introduction is, is to explain to you why I'm here. And I always had thought, you know, you want to get something that gets people's attention and catches their, their, uh, their mind. And I would just say, imagine that yesterday morning you were sitting at your breakfast table and your pastor called and said, you can preach tomorrow that would get your attention. Um, so let's just get right into it here. Uh, let me pray real quick and we'll, we'll look at these verses. Heavenly Father, thank you for the ability to come here this morning as a church. Thank you that, um, that uh, you have you've brought little Isaiah Ball through this um, C-section delivery in an emergency uh, healthy. We pray you continue to sustain him in the NICU. We pray for Kim as she can, that she uh, is recovering from COVID. And we just pray for Tanner as he's, as he's leading through that uh, for them. I thank you for our pastor and, and his wife that would step into that moment knowing that there's going to be some consequences, knowing that they're going to probably be isolated for a while because of it. Um, and I just pray for the people in this church, uh, just in, even in setup this morning, we were, we're down some pretty heavy lifters in terms of who does some major things around here. Um, and, and we just say, thank you, Lord, you sustain us. It is not us, but we're just here together to worship you. So would you, would you just bless the time we have here for whatever words I might say that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be for people with that wash over them and whatever business you have to do with us, uh, would you just do that with the hearts of the people that sit in these chairs? So uh, as we come to your word, Lord, we just ask it, that uh, we receive it humbly, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, I feel like between Amos and, and Jody, like Jody could just come back up here and do that prayer again, and we could sing a song and probably go home, and it would be, would be great. But I wrote this thing, so we're going to go through it. Hebrews 12, this passage was a, a 
I was happy when I heard this is what Tim was preparing because it's a great couple of verses. I think it's good just to give a touch of background on, on where, we're, where we're reading from. Usually Tim's going through John and there's some context and what's going on with the with uh, surrounding environments of the of the book here when we come in just kind of drop in like we're doing on these couple of verses in Hebrews a little background is good so the author's unknown but this is written to the Hebrews who were uh, early Jewish Christians they were followers of Jesus but they had not far removed from all of the old requirements of 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 the Jewish faith and they were being tempted to be drawn back into that being tempted to say, return to the, the legal system and the sacrificial system. And, and, and the author is just encouraging them, saying, um, continue in Christ. Have faith. And, and he's going to compare the first 10 chapters, all, all these institutions from the Old Testament. There's a ton of, of quoting the Old Testament in Hebrews. But he's going to say, Jesus is better than all of these things. He's better than the angels. He's better than the ancient writings. He's better than Moses. He's better than... Um, the priestly system. He's better than the sacrificial system. And, and then it comes to chapter 11, which is this awesome chapter. It's called like the Heroes of the Faith or the Faith Hall of Fame. And, it's, and it just chronicles characters from the Bible and says, by faith, so-and-so did, did this and that. And there's a, great, there's a great definition at the beginning of chapter 11 that, that says what faith is. It kind of defines it quickly. Chapter 11, uh, one says, Faith uh, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it's this idea that faith is this kind of substantive, tangible, taste it, feel it, even though we aren't in it now. But we, we, we believe this thing so truly that it, that it has substance. Um, so it's, these, it's in the, the context of that, this chapter 11, all these heroes of faith, that, that we're coming into chapter 12 and this, this first verse one when it's talking about this great cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded by. So it's these, it's these heroes of faith. And, and one of the things that's just awesome about this is, is that these are, these are just people. You know, these are, are flawed humans, but they're, but they're commended for their faith. But it's these great cloud of witnesses who lived out their lives all the way to the end. Even in their death, they, they're examples to us to do the same. Um, the couple of things, a couple of points, I guess I would say, that I want us to, to try to remember today is that we're running a race and that we can run that race with joy in Christ. Uh, so what's the race that we're, that we're running here? We all can get busy and caught up doing all kinds of running around, and, and sometimes it might feel like it's not just a race, but we're maybe running 20 races at the same time, and, and it's just don't hardly know which way is up. We collapse exhausted at the end of the day and, and start over again tomorrow, but even though there's this image of a athletic competition in this verse, I think the, the author's point is he's trying to say, our life is a race and, and the goal is to, to complete it and the goal is to, to know God, to follow Jesus and to persevere until the end. You know, it's, it's by faith that we're called to endure. So this idea of endurance is important and I love this, the picture of endurance is required to finish a race. You know, anybody can start a race, but it takes endurance, especially a lifelong race. You know, a, a marathon is not going to be finished by someone who sprints right out of the gate. And so this idea of endurance, uh, just pointing to the, our ability to finish. There's another, so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 talks a little bit about this idea of, of our 
of us being in a race. So 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27 says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Least after preaching, I myself should be disqualified. So both of these races that we're talking about here, we're, we're running with a purpose. We're running intentionally, not aimlessly, not just for exercise. Like my brother-in-law does contractor, and I love when he says, I'm not doing this for practice. It's, we're, we have a reason for what we're doing here. So this race is, think of it as a lifelong journey with a goal at the end to finish well. And so like the witnesses from chapter 11 who go before us, this is gonna take some intentionality, it's gonna take some, some help of how do we run this race? Um, you know, what's, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna train, what's the training regimen? What's the pace I should run? There's all these questions. So and right there in verse one in Hebrews 11, we get a little bit of insight into this where it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. So if you're going to run a marathon or do any kind of distance, maybe it's just a, maybe you're going to backpack the, the whole Appalachian Trail or something. But if you're going to, if you're going to endure to the end of, a, of a, a journey that you set out on, the idea is to, to be efficient, to travel. You're going to travel lightly. You're, going to, you're not going to run a marathon with a big heavy coat with a bunch of junk in your pockets. You're not going to wear big heavy boots. You're not going to wear, you're not going to bring your cute purse that, that you just really love. You're going to travel light because you want to, to be efficient. Um, so what are the weight, you know, what's the weight that he's referring to that we, that we can lay aside? Man, there's just, there's so many things in our life that distract us. There's so many things that burden us down. So many things that can be temptations for us to move out of our lane. Um, if, if the goal is to, to be focused on the finish line, then we don't want obstacles in our path that are gonna veer us off course or have to, to, to jog around or, or simply just to, to burden us with the weight of, of carrying. Um, so think that in terms of let us lay aside these weights. Um, also, it's gonna talk about sin. We wanna be casting out sin. Uh, a great way, I, uh, Pastor John Piper had a, had a sermon and I remember his comment on this verse was he said, consider sin in this context is you can't cheat and win the race. There's things that, as, as Paul said above, or we read, is that at least I've become disqualified. So sin is something that we need to be rooting out. You know, we're not gonna, you're not gonna sin. Sin leads to death. It doesn't lead to winning, winning this race. So we know that, that Jesus died for sinners, that he died to forgive our sins. The, the readers of this letter to the Hebrews would have understood that um, as, as Christ-following former Jews, we kind of understand that, but yet here the author is saying to those readers, saying to us, be killing sin because it's going to disqualify you. So it's, it's just a good, it's a good word for us as well. So, so right now, maybe at this point you're hearing thus, or this is what I've said so far and thinking, okay, so what I think you're telling me is I just need to, to train really hard and I need to to uh, you know, get a good plan, and then I need to just grind it out and, and 
work at, at running a good race and, and being a great runner and finishing well. I need to focus. I need to not sin. Maybe I can win this race. Maybe I'll finish. Um, if that's true, please don't hear that. That's, that's a real temptation to hear. I think a lot of people go through their whole lives hearing and thinking um, this mantra of, I just have to be a good person. I have to do good. I have to, and maybe at the end of all of that, Jesus or God will look at me and say, you know what, I think he, he did a pretty good job. He, I'll, I'll, I'll let him slide. Um, that's not what we're, don't walk away from here hearing that. What I want, what I want us to, to focus on, and we're coming to this now, kind of the climax of these two verses is in verse two, where it says, and, and I, let me pause here for a second. I would love it if we actually, like, get your phone, get your Bible out, look at these words here. At least it would be something that, that you could just say this was in the message. But I, I would love for you to see these words, you know, in print. If you have a pro of the old fashion, is you can underline stuff in your Bible. But, but as, you, as you flip to that in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 2, it says for us, look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we talked about chapter 11 was full of all these examples of, of heroes of the faith. But again, these were, these were some people who when, when told by God that you're going to do this thing, they, they responded with, ah, I think you might have the wrong person. I think um, I'm too old for that or my womb is barren, or I don't speak well, or whatever the case might be, they might have argued and said, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And yet still they're commended for their faith, which is just a great encouragement to me. But, but here now in verse two, it says, look to Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter, or some translations say the author and finisher of our faith. Who's the only one who can model that for us perfectly? more perfectly than, than everyone mentioned in chapter 11. Who's the only one that's going to perfectly bring it to completion in the end? It's, it's Jesus. And here, to me, as, as I was looking through this, is the best part of this passage where it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So what is this about and how is this possible for this, this joy that he's talking about enduring horrible suffering? Um, in the book, Gentle and Lowly, which is kind of the theme of what we've been preaching through here for the last couple of weeks, the chapter, uh, the chapter three in that book, the title is For the Joy Set Before Him, but the, the author of that book, who's quoting some Puritans, will, had said, finish this sentence. If you, how would you finish this sentence? And it's Christ's own joy and comfort and happiness and glory are increased or enlarged by what? What, what do we think it is that, that makes Christ's joy improve? And he says, it's tempting. You can answer that different ways. It's tempting, kind of just as a parent. And my mindset is, how is my joy increased? And I, and I think it's when, when my children listen to me and follow my instructions. And, and we might be able to say that about Jesus. We want to bring him joy by obeying him. And the cool thing about that's this chapter and what the author argues, and, it's, and he's quoting Thomas Goodwin, who's got a quote, if Silas would throw it up there. Um, he says, Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by his showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. So it's this idea of 
Christ receives joy in being merciful. And I thought to myself, like, I, how does that play out in, in my life? I don't know that I take joy in showing mercy. Uh, I, can, I get the, I take joy in receiving obedience. Um, but one of the ways that I think that maybe it's helpful for us to look at this that might kind of make sense is think of someone who you love dearly. And if that person is experiencing suffering or in distress or, or needs to be removed from a situation, you, you would do whatever you could to help them in that moment. You would even say it's for your joy that they would be relieved from that or, or redeemed from it. I think of Tanner, how he must have felt on Friday night, you know, waiting with, especially with COVID, not being able to be present with your loved ones and how he's just waiting for that word from the doctor saying, they're okay. It's the baby's safe and your wife is safe. And, and, and it would have been, you could argue his joy is greater in that moment than even their joy. And it's because he loves them so much. And so make, think of that in terms of how much must God love us? How much more does Jesus love us? It's, it's incredible when you think about it in those terms. It's the joy of Christ to give us the thing that we truly need most, which is eternal life with him. So, so what did we do to deserve this love from Christ? Um, in Romans 5, starting in verse 6, Paul says, and turn, go ahead and like do this again. Turn with me in your Bible to, to Romans 5, verse 6, so you can see these words. Paul says in Romans 5, verse 6 to 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this idea of for the joy set before him kind of makes sense in terms of, you know, I would die for my, for my wife, for my kids, for someone that I loved, or maybe even a good person but it kind of floors me to think of Christ on the cross with his enemies attacking him violently, that he would be able to say, it's for the joy set before me that I'll endure that against my enemies. And it just, it's, it's a whole nother level of love that I don't think I even can comprehend. Um, I, I think of this in, in a little bit of a way of like as Jesus as this great warrior, you know, it's kind of how he was expected to come by the, the Jews at that time. He's going to come back conquering and, you know, he's going to take out the Romans. And, and if we believe what's true about him is he's, he can do it. He's going he's gonna to even enjoy doing it. And, and Jesus is. He's this, this warrior who has more than the ability and will just enjoy taking this victory for himself. But what what nobody realized is that his great power and strength and his plan to do that victory was to just lay on that cross and remain there to the point of death. And so there is a day coming when he will return as that conqueror that, that, that they were waiting for and, and it will be finished and death will be defeated. But what happened 2,000 years ago on the cross is no less significant to us today. And, and shows his love. So the last part, we'll 
finish up here, verse 2 is saying that he endured the cross and despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's a lot of commentary you can read about the shame that comes with being crucified. And it was intentionally done that way to humiliate people. Um, I won't get into like the gory details that you can read on that. You can go watch Passion of the Christ again and be reminded of how awful that is. And then there's the, the aspect of the mocking that he received from people um, that, was, that was shameful. But one of the takeaways I'd like us to, to remember from this and, and just apply it personally is when we come to Christ, he's made a way possible for that shame that is tied to the baggage of our sin to to shut off of us. And, and it's sometimes, even for me, there was a, there's a time where there's, there's secret sin that you're carrying around that is just so shameful that you think, I can't come into the light with this. I'll confess it to the Lord, but, I, but I, it's just too ugly. It's too dirty. I don't, I don't want to bring it up to people and have them have to worry about how they think of me. Um, but to me, at least, I, I, I read that. He despised the shame, and, and we can come to him. He's, he's provided that way. Uh, and then finally, we just read about him sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. So in the previous 10 chapters, there's, there's all these references to Jesus being the better, the better high priest, the better sacrifice. And, and so this is just a picture of his authority that he sits next to, to God on the throne as his equal. And, and then the fact that he's sitting. You know, the priests of the old Jewish law had to continually over and over and over go back in and make sacrifices. And every year it had to be renewed once a year. And, and then they also had to sacrifice for their own sins. And then they had to come to a point where they would die and they would have to get a new priest appointed to go in and do it annually. And so Jesus is, is the ultimate perfect sacrifice and eternal sacrifice. And we even can read just real quickly in Hebrews 10, flip over or flip uh, back a couple pages to Hebrews 10 verses 12 to 14. It says, but when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, so again, it's this idea of once and for all. He, he's done it and he's now sitting. So that's our verses. So kind of just a quick couple of points here on what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? Um, maybe just a couple of questions to ask yourself as you would be leaving. What race are you running? And what is the joy that's set before you that carries you through to have endurance to run that race? You know, we, we can get distracted. We can, be, we can be brought off course and need corrected. So there's there's an eternal hope that we have in Christ. What is, what is your hope in today? Is it an eternal promise of things to come, like those heroes we read out in chapter 11 that persevere to the end, even with some mistakes along the way? Or is it in a fleeting pleasure? One of the, one of the examples in, in chapter 11 is Moses, and it, said, it says, It says, by faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered reproach of Christ better than the wealth and treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Like, that's a picture for us of what it means to 
to live a life for the joy set before us. And so we don't have to look far to see brokenness all around us, even here in rural central Iowa. I mean, what's happening in Afghanistan is just a, a picture of the suffering that exists, especially for, for those who would claim Christ. Maybe it even tempers us a little bit of how we, for me, it has, as I read my Bible this week, I was reading it thinking, how would I be reading this if I was in Afghanistan right now when people are trying to find any evidence of me being a Christian? So they could kill me. <laughs> and so maybe it, maybe it tempers us a little bit, um, but still the, the distractions and the temptations are real for us here. And, and we can be misplaced in our hope. You know, maybe we're really gung-ho on fighting back against tyrannical government. You know, or maybe we're really set on hoping our government is going to do everything for us. Probably not so much that category here in Iowa. Um, but either way, we're, we might lose track of the, the race that we're running. And so I see it as a parent that we're, we're bombarded with just all these opportunities to be distracted, distracted, all these opportunities for instant pleasure and satisfaction. Um, sometimes, sometimes those things are necessary just as mechanisms to cope with all the brokenness that's, that's going on. I mean, like, subscriptions to Netflix, I think, are just like a great uh, numbing agent to, to some people to, to pass off the problems that they have. I saw a bumper sticker recently that said, therapy is expensive, beer is cheap. And it's, I just thought that's sad because that's just taking the easy way out. That's, that's quitting on your race and not enduring to the end. Um, as a church, so for us here, Sacred Mission, rural Iowa, um, we're in this race together. You know, the answer is not try harder. The answer is look to Jesus. It's not a burden for him to receive our, our weakness, our brokenness, our suffering, our doubt. Uh, it's his joy. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, the invitation I would have for you would just be come to him. You know, maybe the Holy Spirit has been doing a work in your heart right now and, and you're just feeling that you've been running on this hamster wheel and it's just the, totally the wrong race. It's, it's not the race that has the finish line that leads to eternal life. And I just I love the picture of on the cross, the two criminals beside Jesus, the ones mocking him and the other one kind of gets it and asks Jesus, would you remember me in your kingdom? And right there in that moment, Jesus grants him eternal life. So that's just a perfect picture of it isn't about what you've done isn't about what you haven't done. It's about trusting in Jesus. So if that's you today, talk to somebody. Um, come see somebody here at church. Find someone that you, that you trust, that you care about, that you love. Come see, talk to me. Um, if you are a Christian in here, then my encouragement would just be, man, run your race with endurance and stay focused on what the finish line is. Don't be weighed down. Don't be distracted um, by all that's going on in this world. Stay, stay in tune to the race that, you're, that you are running. So in the power of the Spirit, fight against sin. Fight uh, to confess sin. Fight to be in the light with people that know your sin. Um, just a plug here again. Amos did it well. Um, being in a, in a 
community group is just a fantastic way to do this. Um, I, can't, I can't encourage it enough to, to be doing this race together with other believers. So we're going to be hosting one Sunday nights. We'd love to have you at that. There's going to be sign-up sheets, like he said. Love to get you guys in a, in a community group if you're not, just for this very reason. This is not a race that we're meant to run alone. So just the last thing I wanted to say before we wrap it up here is that um, in Jesus, we're not only looking to eternity for joy. Um, there's all kinds of brokenness around us right now, just undeniable. And it might sound like to be a Christian is just called to this life of slogging through suffering and resisting every bit of pleasure that, that the world would tempt you with. And, you know, we just have to hope, well, maybe in eternity it's going to be better than it is here. Um, that's just not true. That sounds depressing. That sounds discouraging. That sounds like something who accuses Christians of being sick in the mud would, would say. And I would just say you don't understand your Bible then. There's hope for today in our hope for the future. And so um, while there's sorrow, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, be, sorrow yet always, be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And there's a difference between joy and happiness. I, I mean, we get that. Um, but Romans 5, uh, verses 3 and 5 say, not only that, but in our, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So that's my challenge to us. Let's go out from here. Let's run the race that's set before us. Let's have joy in our hearts, even in the midst of suffering, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So let me pray, and then we'll move into just a time of, of receiving that in communion. Heavenly Father, thank you just that you, that your love for us is, is profound. It's so great. It's so, so beyond what we can understand. We can kind of get a glimpse of it in terms of how we, how we love our lovable ones, but, but Lord, we were your enemies and you did this for us. So may that, may that wash over us today and just, and help us have a, an understanding of your deep love for us. And would you help us just then to, to endure, um, help us to not be distracted, help us to stay focused. And we thank you that, that when we, when we stumble, you're there to pick us up. Um, so would this just be an encouraging time? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So this is a good time here where we'll move into a, a, a way to respond to this is through the, the act of taking the Lord's Supper together. The way we do it here is we're going to actually bring up, I'll invite the, the servers to come up now. We're going to have servers at each table with some gloves. They're going to literally rip off the bread and hand it to you so you, if you can receive it with open hands. Take, we've, got, we've got juice, wine, um, receive that. We'll funnel through kind of like the, the take line in the middle and then fan out, go back to your seats, um, and then we'll all, we'll all take it together here. So um, let's go ahead and do that, and then I'll pray for us when we have it.